Okay, we're ready to go. Okay, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That is that. In five, four, three. I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking stupid thing. In five, four, three. Hello and welcome to the Second Captain's Podcast. Se- I actually say Second Captain's, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Hello and welcome to the Hurling the Ditch podcast. I'm Phil, back in the big boy chair after two weeks of Graham expertly leading the podcast. No pressure. This better not be about politics. It's not about politics, don't worry. That's a special podcast next week. That, no, that was last week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I got very political last week. Also here, me, Graham, John. How's it going, Phil? And Dara. Hey, Phil. How's the form, lads? We're good. Not too bad at all. Fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> Solid. There goes our uh, kids right on the iTunes and lads. Explicit tag, here we go. Explicit tag, thanks be to God. Um, as I said, Graham did a great job over the last two weeks on our Fantastic first podcast job. back. I really enjoyed the topics, Graham. So when I got given the honour of picking the topics this week, I naturally did a load of research, only for one of the biggest sports stories of the week to break today and disrupt all my expertly researched topics. Expertly researched. <laughs> Listen, I can say Who are you kidding, expertly I can, researched? I can say they are now because we're not going to get to all of them, so it's fine. <laughs> Um, before we get going, uh, what we're going to talk about today, Graham's going to throw over to you for a word about our partners. Yep, you know the crack at this stage if you've listened to the first two episodes. But um, we're now partnered with Chargies. They are disposable, recyclable chargers that will give your phone up to 70% extra battery on a night out if you need it. Say you're in a pub, you're running out of battery life, you haven't brought your little battery pack with you. Just go up to the bar, say, have you got Chargies? If they do, they'll give you one. You take the chargey, stick it in the phone, you get an extra 70% battery, then just bring it back to the bar, they recycle it, and the proceeds go to the Jack and Jail Foundation. And it's free, Graham, is that what you're saying? I think they're a fiver. But Kept that one quiet, you bastard. <laughs> for more details, you can go to chargies.ie and tell them the hurlers on the ditch sent you. Nice one. All right, we're, uh, much like the protagonist in the story we're going to talk about, we're going to jump in with two feet into this one. Joey Barton today, lads, banned for 18 months by the FA for breaking betting regulations. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <What>? Discuss. <laughs> what do you think of Barton's statement where he criticised the gambling culture around football? Do you think he has a point or do you think he's just been a very silly boy indeed? When, I read, it, when I read it at first and I just clicked on Sky Sports News and I just saw Barton banned for 18 months, I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. And then I went in and I read his... Uh, his side of it and I was like oh he actually he did make a few good points there like he was saying what was it it's like trying to it's like keeping an alcoholic in a brewery it is like asking a recovering alcoholic to spend all his time in a pub or a brewery yeah which is exactly right like and the picture they used was so ironic with the Daffabet logo on the Burnley jersey like he's completely right in that and saying like how can how can they vindicate taking so much money from all these Bet365 Paddy Power like you think you sit and watch, say, United and City now tomorrow night. Yeah. And um, all the halftime ads are going to be Ray Winston or whatever his name is. I bet on that. Yeah. 
Martial to score next goal seven to one or something like that. Like, yeah. and if a footballer is sit, like, what are footballers going to be doing? They're going to be sitting at home. They can't go. Oh, I'll have a little tip on that. Like, it's a bit. Sh- like it's, the rules. Like back in the day, fair enough, when the betting wasn't as big. But the fact that it's like a billion pound industry now, like it's there should be a little bit of leeway. And um, as per Ken Early on Twitter, fifty percent of Premier League teams advertise gambling on their shirt. Jeez. Ten out 50%. of the twenty. Ten out of the twenty Premier League teams. I'm not even going to try and work it out. No, Burnley's one. Burnley is one. Bournemouth, Hull, Swansea, Swansea Palace, Stoke, Sunderland, West Brom, Watford, and West Ham. Should Stoke at a bet three six five stadium? Yeah. The leagues. The Football League is sponsored by Skybet. Yeah. The, the broadcaster that shows the most football has an incentive to work uh, gambling odds into every single broadcaster to do because they also have a uh, bookmaker. Deal with Sky. I think uh, like Barton's point about betting, uh, the kind of exposure it gets in football, it's a very valid point. But I think what he did was... It was. I'm not saying it was match fixing, but the reason it's banned is because players can influence matches. Like you bet on his own matches. He bet a match that maybe he wasn't involved in directly. But if you're in the squad, like kind of insider knowledge, I, like his points are completely valid. But I think they're in no way an excuse for him betting on matches that he kind of had the knowledge of, or he was indirectly involved with squad members. He could say, "Oh, the keeper's injured today. He's uh, not going to play great. I'm going to back my team to lose or something like that." Maybe. I think, like, fair enough, his points, yeah, they're spot on, but I think they're kind of separate almost to what he got done for today, which was kind of bordering on match-fixing, inside betting kind of stuff. But they said, like, they made it abundantly clear that it's in no way match-fixing. Yeah, like, it's, I think the 18 months is a bit hard, and he says he's appealing it, and I'd say it might come down to, like, 12. But the reason it is harsh is kind of discourage any match-fixing, like... I'm not he, saying there was match fixing. He, well, just to read from his statement to, see, to give his point of view on so it, right? He said, uh, I do feel that the penalty is heavier than it might be for other less controversial players and that players who have had similar offences have been banned for a lot less than six months, six to 12 months has been a more common sentence for players who have gambled on games. Because as Graham said, there's no implication from the FA in any investigation that it was uh, match fixing or there was any doubt about Barton's integrity. Yeah, I do agree with you though. that's the weakest points of his statement where he's saying I wasn't involved in the squad or I agree with you 100% on that that's the weakest points I think he makes like I honestly think that the whole debate about gambling in the premiership is completely separate to it should be a separate debate to Barton's kind of being banned for 18 months I think regardless of the position of gambling company sponsoring Premier League what he did was it's inexcusable like everyone should know if you're involved in a football team you don't yeah. bet in any match to do with that team that's one thing. Barton messed up. That's one clear enough point. And then the separate point altogether is the idea of Premier League profiting so much from gambling and it being rammed down your throat, basically. And what do you think? Um, and this kind of got lost as far as I was concerned. In the same, uh, He says, I fought addiction to gambling and provided the FA with a medical report about my problem. And he goes on to talk about the amount of time and money afforded to young professional footballers with very little else better to do and who have grown up in this culture of gambling it's sort of a separate question about the morals but do you think like the GPA have been very active in this in Ireland with Noel McNamee and Ushie McConville being spokespersons for people with gambling problems in the GAA see but, I think it's different than the guy because they're not professional like they're just taking in a regular wage like some of them could be students and, all that, and they're not bringing in money but the lads over in the Premier League like they're they're bringing in stupid money. Yeah. Like, even the boys at Burnley are on 20, 25 grand a week. Like, you wouldn't know what to be doing with yourself, even if yeah. you're a young fella. Um, so do you think that there should be more done by the Premier League and the FA 
for players. I, their regulations are there for a reason and they make sense, like we're saying. But do you think there should be more done by the FA and the Premier League about players uh, gambling too much on any sport, never mind football? Do you think they have an obligation? It probably falls more on the PFA, just to make sure like lads aren't... Like if they even if the PFA set up like a gamblers anonymous or whatever, it, yeah, is it, if that's a thing, yeah, um, just set it up like just so lads know like okay I'm not the only one, but how do we like these are people who are in my situation like who else is on like Barton's probably on what twenty five grand a week I'd say something probably. like it yeah. I think I think Brady's the highest paid he's on thirty grand okay so maybe Barton's on the same but I doubt it. um so even like if you had like a PFA sort of group that like because who else is sitting at home most of the time with 30 grand a week coming into the bank account like what else are you going to do with it other yeah. than get, like, and you're sitting there if you're watching the sports news everything you're like oh that'll be 2-0 to them yeah easy and with especially with these players who have gotten to an elite level with like a mentality an obsessive competitive mentality Barton references that in his statement as well that like he has an obsessive competitive he loves competing and yeah. at something being at stake um, so if you have a lot of these elite players sitting there, not everyone's driven that way, but a lot of people at the top of their game would be competitive freaks. And if they're sitting there with nothing else to do, I think it's interesting that Barton even pulls in like betting on uh, playing games of golf and playing games of darts. I think it's interesting. But then you think about like the card skills that used to go on in, uh, the, like you hear about in the pre-Premier League days on the coaches, the matches and stuff. And, and there wasn't mass like you don't see pe- people with loads and loads of problems. I mean, you have obviously cases, but should I say there's lads that say right, hundred quid a man if you score, you get it, you spit it. Like I'd say the starting eleven or even the match day, what's it, eighteen in the squad? I'd, apart from the goalkeepers, I'd say right, lads, hundred quid in a man. If you score, you get a cut of it. Easily, I'd say. It's a Greenberry exclusive right no, here, folks. There has to be like there has to be like because when you're playing games of golf, you say all right, five or front nine, five or back nine. And you'd be like, yeah, that's just standard. Like, so it's like with, at that highest stakes, like football is, and everyone wants to score. You're probably like, yeah, all right, yeah. we'll go for that. Yeah, but I think <clears> like that kind of stuff, there's not a whole lot wrong with it. Like, it's when no, it's like, still gambling. But does, it, mean, does Bar- it create a culture though? I mean, Barton spoke about like an addiction. Like, it's the same with drinks, same with anything. Like, if you become addicted to something, like the footballer who goes out every day, or not every day, but goes out the weekend after matches, a few points, nothing wrong with him. Mm. But the footballer who has to have, a, have a drink every day, every night to function, kind of, that's where the problem starts. You might drink less a week than the other person, but. It's when you're kind of needing the stuff when you need to get your next yeah. your next win or your next bet placed. Like there's probably plenty of footballers who might bet on rugby, might bet on golf, different sports, and there's nothing wrong. Like as Graham said, you have a big wage come into you, like you kinda spend your money whatever way you want to do it. Like I think it's I don't know if there's a culture of gambling or football. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. Like it's a male dominated culture with a lot of young men around and young men are kind of pretty prone to gambling, like especially with a lot of disposable income. Mm. I don't know if you can encourage or discourage that kind of thing. Like, I think as Phil said, there's been the card schools for years and years and years. I suppose I think all of Barton's betting was online stuff, yeah. Which is like that's some everyone knows that the online stuff. If you're a gambling, if you're an addictive personality, like online is just it's a bad idea for basically. Oh, yeah. it's, it's far never too off. easy. Yeah. Even, even if you haven't got an addictive personality, you'd be like, shit, I need to get that back, and it just. Spirals. spirals that's it and look Barton he published his list of his bets like on the bets on the teams he was involved with yeah like he lost four grand he had two pages uh, maybe 20 bets per page I think he won maybe three or four of the whole bets like this wasn't someone who was kind of betting and winning money and like going oh great I won I won three four hundred quid today it was he just betting 
I honestly don't know why, like what possessed the man. Like I don't get into an addict's mind like that kind of way. If you look at Colin McCarran, like he's maybe the most high profile example of an Irish player that we have. And the way he talked of kind of like the stuff he would do, like it wasn't, almost, it wasn't his choice to do it. Like it's kind of this addiction in his he head. Had he had to do it basically. Yeah, it seems like the same with Barton. Like, like losing four grand, I mean, it's, probably, it's nothing to him, but it's still, you're constantly putting on losing bets and there's, there's no sign of you getting any of this money back at all or yeah. even getting the joy of winning from it. And that's like, you look at the social shit and like people like Floyd Mayweather and all and your man Dan Bilzer and he win stupid amounts of money, but they're not showing the money they're losing doing that. Like, and that's like, you'd wonder the footballers thinking like, oh, we could be like him sort of thing. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I just thought by way of uh, finishing up, do you think that there should be and do you think that there will be some sort of regulations put in on I thought there um, was. the for uh, betting companies in football or do you think it's just too oh, much no, cash? Keep going. Oh, no. Just way too much in it. the money. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. It's the same with the drink, like you that's see. What yeah. I was, that's where I was going to go with it as well. I'm yeah. pretty sure that McDonald's sponsor a few family sections as well. Like if the money, if people pay the money, they can yeah. do whatever they want with football, basically. Mm. Any sport. Okay. Now just train rolling. Next. With Joey Barton's big story, they're after pushing out one of my lovingly researched topics. I'm going to ask you lads to make a decision. Do you want to talk about Spurs or do you want to talk about Barcelona? Not Bar- Barcelona. Barcelona. Full speed for Barca. Barcelona. Don't for me. Barca it is. Right. Did we all watch the Classico at the weekend? Yeah, it was class. Very good. It was the first time in, I'd say, three seasons that I actually sat down purposely to watch a Classico. Yeah. Like, about five years ago, it felt like a much-watched event. You couldn't miss out on this game. But for the last couple of years, it's, the shine's kind of gone off it. Just Very much felt back. It got a bit dirty the last couple of years. Like a bit aggro. Yeah. It wasn't as much about the football as in let them know you're there early doors sort of crack. Like. Question I have for you is does this win for Barca uh, disprove the theory that it's the end of this team or does it actually reinforce the problems that they had? I know we have uh, Eamon Dunphy joining us here <laughs> on the phone for this section. <laughs> you should work for Northern Ireland. Um, I don't know because like I didn't think Barcelona were, I knew they couldn't defend so I was expecting them to lose to Juve yeah like watching the first PSG match that wasn't Barcelona playing they were crap that night and it, like it was their own fault the first match against Juventus Juventus just didn't let them play yeah they defended their outer skin second game Barcelona tried to hammer the goal down and it just wasn't their night didn't happen Knocked out. Like, I think Dunphy's a bit of a. What's the word I'm looking for? Head the ball, Bill. Gobshite. Not even gobshite. Sensationalist. Sensationalist. That's it. He's Man after your own heart, Graham. <laughs> one loss, it's over. This is it. It's done. Messi's finished. Yeah. No, sorry. Never said they were finished. Yeah. <laughs> I just said they might be finished. Um, but, yeah, no. There's no way this is the end of that Barcelona team. Do you think it's the end of Barca being the really scary perennial Champions League favourites at the start of every year? Do you no. think they're more of a moments team now rather than an overall dominating team? Or do you think it's just peaks and troughs and they just lost the Champions League game and it's all fine? They just lost the Champions League game. Sure, didn't they get slaughtered there a few years ago? By... Bayern. Munich. Bayern. Yeah. If they don't win the league this year, it's the first year since 2008 without either a league title or a Champions League semi. And that was the year... Guardiola came in so it kind of would bookend 
sort like you look at the spine of that Guardiola team, broadly speaking, being Pique, Busquets, Iniesta, and Messi. If you take it broadly, and they're all either in their thirties or heading towards it. Do you think like that? Like that Guardiola team is it's. Probably one of the best ever. It's the if best, not ever. The best yeah. ever. I think it's. I think it's definitely the best club team that we've ever seen. And United ninety nine. Man, what are you talking about? Like that team. There's there's no comparison between that team now and the team that Guardiola had winning Champions Leagues. Yeah. Uh, they're still a, a top top side. Uh, but top top top. top, top. <laughs> but comparing them, comparing any team to that Guardiola team, where it feels like they're literally going to every yeah. Champions League as they're, a favorite. They're god tier. Like. Yeah, that's like yeah. a different level altogether. I mean, you can still you can be a lot worse than that team and still be a top team, not a top top team now, but a top team. Should look at United. United got to two Champions League finals against that team and were beaten five one over the two finals. Like, I think that Wembley game might be my defining moment. Zach Guardiola three one. Even when Rooney scored, it was just like we have this and we're just gonna. It's either that or the five 0 They were so calm. Yeah, and they're still so calm. Like. They didn't panic once in that Classico Sunday. I think that's down to... I think Messi didn't panic. Well, Rakitic took, that was, took yeah. his time, controlled really the ball, nice. set, bang, straight in. And there were some great saves in the match by both keepers. Oh, Jesus, goalkeeper it was, was top, the top drawer. Most saves in a Classico by a keeper in 10 years by Tristegan. Yeah. But even, what's his name, Kaylor Navas had yeah. a great match as but, well. Before, but that, um, goal, that third goal was just... Class. I think my his first goal was my favorite one of the, of the game. I think. Oh, uh, that two touch. The way he changed, he controlled the ball, changed direction one way. Second touch pass, Carvajal made him look like a fool. Looked like he'd lost it. It was beautiful. And um, I just I thought this was an interesting point. Graham Hunter um, writes a bit for ESPN, covering Spanish football. He made it before Hunter. the Clasico. Sorry, Graham Hunter. That's the one big interview with Graham Hunter. And um, he was talking about the squad players for Real and Barca, right? And Real's Four most um, used subs this year have had 24 league goals between them. And Barca's four most used league subs this year have six. Jesus. And he was kind of making the point that Real have created a meritocracy and that Barca have sort of isolated their best 11 players mm. and that when they have to call on the replacements that the talent isn't there as it was in years gone by. I'd agree with that. He also said that um, the only... Sorry, this was a different um, point, but the only... Um, academy graduate who was on the bench for the Champions League semi-final it was a 19 year old midfielder who only made his debut this year in April that was the only academy graduate so do you think the for who? Barca Barca Messi not an academy graduate on the bench oh sorry on the bench uh, the point I'm going to drive at here is do you think that the profile of Barcelona is changing into nearly more of a Galactico oh, they've definitely gone yeah, more towards gone the Galactico like, you look at the big names that they've signed and Neymar is the Luis Suarez. Suarez is like your Neymar's, your Luis Suarez's, your Rakitic, <laughs> your. How do you got my field? Say Ter probably didn't come cheap. Like he wasn't exactly yeah. Yeah. about thirty million yeah. on him too. as well. Story forty. Forty. Story is they're going after Christian Eriksen from Spurs. I saw that. Which he'd be a great player for Barcelona. That ball he played in on Saturday for Deli Alley's Spurs second goal. Great goal. Um, I just thought it was interesting between like you look at the graduates of the academy that Real have now. Like Morata, um, Lucas Vasquez is an academy graduate. Uh, yeah. Asensio isn't for is he? Carvajal, like they've got probably more academy graduates in their end of their squad now than Barca have at this stage. 
I think it's just an interesting shift to note. And yet, for all this, like, suppose the end of an era, Barca are ahead at the minute, and at worst, going to be three points back in the title race. See, that's the end of the world, though, for them. Like, Luis Enrique is gone, he's finished, he's done. That's his own, he's leaving, like. Oh, he's pushed out that door. That was that was a couple of months ago when they were like it's just six or seven points back in the league and it looked like right, this is game over early doors. Also, if you don't win the league or and at least get to a Champions League semi-final, probably, he's probably getting sacked anyway. Which is a ridiculously high standard. Oh, it's an unbelievable... That's the thing. But that's them, that's them like... Sure, Benitez. Yeah. What did Benitez get sacked on last year? Seven wins out of nine, 17 scored, two conceded or something like that. Yeah, but I don't think Barcelona are quite as bad as that. Like, like Real Madrid, are, they're well known for yeah, that's flying true. through managers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, so to be fair, Barcelona have had a good couple of managers in the last yeah, in fairness, 10 years. They leave kind of, as, of their own yeah. choosing. Martinez, there was an ugly ending. Uh, that wasn't great. The manager before him, in fairness, was terminally sick. So. Yeah. And Guardiola burned himself out. I do think that they are more understanding than Real. But it just... I don't know. I think it's inter- it's an interesting space. Like, like, What do you think? I think you could see in the next couple of years... Unless Barcelona get markedly better in their recruitment, I think you could see Real not dominating but establishing more of a foothold. I'm sure what's it? Real only have won the Liga in the last seven years or something, isn't it? Yeah. Ronaldo's only ever won the Liga once. Yeah, it's mad. Um, so, see, I think Bar- Barcelona are just one of them teams that they're just going to be there. Like, it's just, they'll find somebody. Yeah. They'll well, find somebody well, like, and it'll just be class. You look the way Neymar um, put the team on his back in the second leg against PSG because in the two legs PSG did a very good job of marshalling Messi mm. in the same way that Juve did a good job marshalling the two legs of the quarterfinal. So Neymar had to step up and he did. When nobody else did, Suarez didn't step up, Rakitic wasn't stepping up but uh, Neymar did. So maybe he's going to be the great white hope but outside of him... So he's still only 24. Yeah, that's the thing. The thing with that Barcelona team is so many of them can score the winning goal. Yeah. In that Real team, Ronaldo wants the winning goal. Ramos can get it if he's still on the pitch. <laughs> That's the problem, though. It's, it's either a 98 minute winning header or a red card. That's what you get with him. Back both and you can't Look lose. Like, apparently he has something like... 20-something red 20, cards. 23, 22, I think. 22 red cards, but he has like something like 22 goals in the league over the last couple of years and 18 of them have been after the 85th minute. That's ridiculous. Now... Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I think he's got something like 68 goals from Madrid since he's been there. He's, As a centre half, is nuts. To be fair, he used United there a few years ago. I got so excited when I thought United yeah. were signing him. So um, excited. Because he's a great defender. Ah, he's not a great he's defender. A, he's, a go, he's a great footballer. He's not a great defender. It's, it's, a great it's, like, defender. it's the same way with PK. Great footballer, not great defender. I couldn't believe it there Sunday when PK opened the box and they were 2 1 up. Like, yeah. He's done it before. Remember that? In my, he always does it. It's ingrained in my brain. PK <laughs> missing one on ones. He always does it. But uh, just speaking of, I have to mention him. Eric Bailey, Bailey, whatever his name is. He's my favourite player. No, he's not my favourite player in the world. Andrew Herrera. Yeah, Andrew Herrera and Juan Mata. You love Mata as well, don't you? Uh, no, he's injured. I love him. <laughs> but uh, I just, I just like to refer to Eric Bailey as. Is it the worst, best defender in the world and also the best, worst defender in the world? Because his technique is terrible. But he gets but the job done. class. He's so good. It's like your man Sacco. You got rid of him. Well, for the well, one of you did. Yeah. Um, okay. Next. Since the vote went so well last time, lads, and I want to give uh, either of these topics time to breathe, I'm going to ask you to pick again 
Do you want to talk about rugby or do you want to talk about golf? Golf. Rugby. Rugby. Oh, yes, we're in for rugby. The golf will probably hold. We'll the save go- our Rory McIlroy wedding talk for next week's That's outfield. literally what it was going to be about. I have the article printed out here. Oh, I refuse oh, to read Oh, is this your man who gave out? He's a dick. I wanted to talk about the privacy of uh, sports stars. But instead, we're going to talk about Leinster and Munster. Oh, okay. Um... They both lost European Cup semi-finals. It'll be nearly a week ago by the time you're hearing this. Um, I want to know, do you think that the sides are ahead of where they would reasonably expect to be, uh, given where they were coming from? And do you think that this sort of success is sustainable, given that they're doing it on a smaller budget than big spending French and English teams? Just, I would take this one first, because just from you who know a lot more about the provincial system than me, I think... Them semi-finals just summed up the money gap at the minute, as in especially the Munster match. Munster were bullied off that pitch. They just could not play through Saracens. Now, to be fair, Tyler Blindell played a shocker, shocker. But just I think, like I think, if you had told them both, you'll get to a Champions Cup semi-final at the start of the year, especially after how bad last year. They would have said, "Yeah, cool." Yeah. But if you had told Leinster. You'd be that close, and but you still you just lose out. I think it's just now fair enough. Maybe not so much on the Leinster side, but on the Munster side, I think it just showed how big a difference the money is making in Champions Cup rugby now. Yeah, but they probably overachieved this year, really, okay. realistically. Yeah, but you. They both had snapped your hand off, I'd say, for a semi-final at the start of the year. And they are both on course to meet in a Pro 12 final, so one of them is yeah. probably going to win the Pro 12. So Pro 12 in the European Cup semi-final might be a bad year. What do you think, John? Do you think Munster and Leinster are ahead of where they might have expected to be given last year? Oh, I think definitely. As Graham said, if you said at the start of the season, you'll get to a Heineken Champions Cup semi-final if it bit your hand off. You can't say Heineken anymore. Like, I think Munster were fourth favourites to get out of their pool. Were they really? really? I think they were, yeah. Jesus. How bad they were. It's a tough pool. Yeah, and they were terrible last year. They were year. pretty terrible last year. Like, so they and terrible have... coming up to the Champions Cup as well. Mm. Uh, so, definitely, like, Munster, it was a phenomenal season getting this far. Especially uh, given the whole Axel thing. Yeah. I think Leinster, yeah, Leinster, um, I wouldn't say overachieved, but they'd be happy with what they got to, I think. Mm. But that said... They could have won that match as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think probably should have won that match if they had it. If you based on last year, like there's not many other teams who'd say would have. F- they didn't flop last year. Last year was what you'd expect from the team they had. Mm. Yeah. But then with basically the same team, obviously they're a bit more experience for the younger lads. But to achieve to get that close to Heineken Cup or Heineken Cup semi final was really a very good achievement. Yeah. I think what Lancers undoing this year. I think I haven't heard it mentioned before, and I might be original thinking. For Woohoo! Months, big. But it was a. Uh, their last pool game away in France. Yeah. If they'd won that home, probably get a home semi-final. And there's not many teams, like Leinster put Claremont to the sword in France. There's not many teams who you'd fear playing in, in Lansdowne Road, which is almost a second home now for Leinster. Yeah. I think if they if they won that match, you could be sort of saying, Leinster look well set for a final in Edinburgh now. Yeah. If they lost that match, the fourth <coughs> to travel away then for the semi-final. And yeah, it's tough to win away in semi-finals. Obviously Saracens yeah. did it. Saracens are the best team in Europe like at winning games not at entertaining but definitely yeah, for winning games they're number one I just that's what like I couldn't but that was my first time watching Saracens this season and they're all just built like brick shit houses yeah. they're huge and it just 
it just showed in the end like Munster just could not get to it and they were being like they were making it to the fo- to the five minute and then just getting forced back forced back yeah. forced back and after like five or six passes they were back another 10-15 metres like, yeah. and they were showing that little thin his thin yellow line like and you're just like how have they got so far back so quick and it's just them Saracens boys are so quick off the line and they'll probably win it again this year yeah. um, it, this year kind of felt like an emergence of new era nearly for both of the sides I, yeah. I did a bit of a look um, the last semi-final both sides made, made Munster was 13-14 and only four players started both the games. Manny, Zebo, um, and Coin, I think. Earls, 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 not Zebo, I think. Ryan then as well, Charlie. He didn't start thirteen uh, fourteen. Don't know why, but he didn't. Um, and then Leinster. There was only two players in Leinster's team that started against Taylor um, in twenty fourteen uh, fifteen. Yeah, McFadden. And McFadden, yes. He's in the start. It was an entirely new back row. Mike Ross. Uh, Toner. Well, he didn't play. Heaslip and Toner. That was it. Heaslip and Heaslip, sorry. McFadden and Toner were the only two. And you look at that team, and um, Jimmy Goppert and Isaac Boss were the 9 10. Jesus. And, like, you look at the difference like but, that Sexton makes straight away. But, like, how good a season McGrath had. And the in, entirely new back row. Um, entirely new front row admittedly because Sean Cronin was injured that meant Strauss was in but like they're basically a core of two new teams I think there's a lot of stuff to be excited about Leinster again though big time because they have really exciting players you have Joey Carberry you have Gary Ringrose like Adam Byrne isn't it yeah like they're all light and quick Robbie Henshaw actually I couldn't uh, the Wasps match when Henshaw made the break and he got caught I was like Surely Henshaw would have the pace for that. And then, but like, the pace of Ringrose, especially when he made that try Sunday. Oh, it was so it's good. lightning quick. So good. What's his story? He's rugby the whole way, but Carberry is Kirby he's only Ka- basically new to it. No, Carberry's okay. from New Zealand. Kirby, yeah, no, yeah. But, no, but he's only properly played rugby for the last couple of years. No, he? he's like, he, he moved from New Zealand. His dad was from a tie, moved down to New Zealand, moved back to a tie. He was playing tipping around with rugby in a tie and um, Leinster came and put him in Black Rock for six years because he was so good at rugby they were like you need to be in the shop Jeez. window and he got an academy contract was playing uh, AIL with Clontarf and like at the start of this season he'd only played a handful of Pro 12 minutes for Leinster oh, like, sure. he's, he, he's only played top level rugby this season maybe that's what you're thinking of what like is he? 21 now 22 21? 21. 21. I'm not sure when his contract kicks in, but the contract he was on yeah. at the start of the season was an it's Wait, he's still it's on academy. A contract. Like, it's the an, next season is his... Oh, my God. It's an academy contract. Sick. Yeah. He's one of those, though. He's one of those that you look at and you go, oh, yeah, that's that's my dream over. Oh, absolutely. He's yeah. one of those. Robbie Henshaw's 23, Graham. Yeah, but he's been in it for a while. Yeah, but that's just disappointing because he's been in it for a while and he's still younger than us. Look at Rashford. That's the yeah. worst one. He still has braces. Like, that's just horrible. He's 19. Feel I could have done it at 19. Just no one ever looked at me playing football. Done what, Graham? It. It. Exactly. Could have done it. You don't need to define it there. It's just a thing. Phil, I, I don't know what it your, is, but you've got it. Here, on, Graham, shut up for a sec, yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil, on your point that Irish clubs are up against the might of the heavily more financially backed Premiership and French clubs. Yeah. I really feel that uh, 
Irish clubs have an advantage in that they're actually the players are from the area, so there actually is that club environment. Okay. Whereas Saracens or any of the most of French French clubs, none of the players are from there. Yeah. Like that's I think that's such a big advantage. Do you think that just means that Irish teams get as far as you do though? Because you've just mentioned the team, two teams that have monopolised the Champions yeah. Cup in recent years between Toulon and Saris, who are both all mercenaries, but they still win the thing. Say that again to me in English there, Phil. <laughs> you say Irish teams have an advantage because they're from the area. Starting off, everything, all else being equal, that's definitely an advantage that you're from. But do you think that that just leads them to where they're getting? Do you think that advantage oh, maxes yeah, out at semi-finals? Do you think... Um, like, because they're not getting the finals, even with the advantage. Not necessarily. Was, I think if Leinster had a home game against Claremont, it could have been a different result. Okay. I think it definitely helps them. I don't. I won't be able to say it can definitely get them over the line. Yeah. How long is that going to last, though? Because what, at what age, like you look at Ringrose, you look at Carberry, Adam Burns on a young foot as well, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Like you look at them, and they're looking at lads who are probably not as at a high level of talent as them, and they're on probably three and four times the money. Like, how long is that going to last? Young players especially looking at that going, why am I doing this for this much when I can be doing it, winning the same competition and making four times, five times as much money? Like, it's when, the- when will the money start kicking in over here? Like, the money gap that we start losing the young players? Nah, I think, like, the money gap has been there not as much as now, but it's been there, I'd say, since the start of professionalism, really. Since God definitely, was definitely since O'Driscoll. Yeah. Remember he was like, over Pirates. You've always heard the stories of players getting offered big super books in uh, France. Um, a big thing is Irish players kind of know if they go abroad, more than likely you're not going to get picked. Yeah. Unless you're Johnny Sexton or unless you're... Michael Murphy. Like Unless you're like a top superstar, you're not going to get your place. Yeah. So you mentioned Henshaw and uh, Gary Ringrose there. I think... We, uh, Joe Schmidt would try and find someone to replace them if they went abroad I think it's Schmidt has kind of laid down the law with the way Madigan has been treated not treated it's the way he's told before he we went I'm sure like if you go abroad you're not going to get your place yeah. but you see then I think that's just really hypocritical by the way that Frenston, Frenston Sexton went to France for two years and he was automatically starting down every time like, yeah but should be good enough <laughs> yeah, just, just for rules yeah. If you're good enough, it's, it doesn't it's matter. It's like the lad who's flying in training, and uh, we pick the team on training, lads, and then the star player still gets picked. But like that's like it's not school. Like it's a sport. Like it's you, you want to win the game. Uh, I suppose you could make a case for Ireland having a better chance of winning with Sexton at home, but playing Sexton is still a better choice than playing Madigan or Jackson. Whereas I suppose Schmidt must think now that having Paddy Jackson or Ian Keighley as your backup ten, or Scarborough even now is a better choice than having a Ian Madigan commuting from France for international. Yeah, to be fair, Jackson proved that point from this Six Nations. Jackson was solid this Six Nations. Do you think, um, in your opinion, are, are you happy? Are you happier with Irish teams filling their team through academy players because it benefits the Irish national team in the long run? Are you happy to sac- Are you happy to sacrifice maybe club success for uh, Six Nations and national or international success rather? Like I think, do you think do you agree that it benefits the Irish team that we're bringing up Irish players as opposed to bringing in foreign uh, replacements? Absolutely, I think I think it must. Like I think the structure we have now is it's done us pretty well for as long as it's been in place. Like I don't think like clubs using Irish players and success in Europe they're not mutually exclusive either. Like you look at the Leinster team that's coming through, like you'd be hard pushed to try and sign those players from other clubs. 
Like not many clubs are going to let a Gary Ringrose or a Robbie Henshaw walk mm-hmm. without putting up big bucks to try and sign them. Yeah. I think if you look at, I think the setup kind of encourages Irish clubs to really uh, do their research and bring in the best they can bring in. Like if you look at the uh, the Lions, like two of the Irish Lions, you have Jared Payne who wasn't born here and T.D. Sander who wasn't born here. And they're, Payne isn't one of the outstanding performers for Ireland, but Sander was a super, a super uh, yeah. project superstar for Munster and for Ireland yeah same with um, Nsewa like oh definitely yeah like you look at some of the Nsewa probably has a case for being the best ever um, foreign import and he didn't end up actually even playing for Ireland like if you look at the players that have come through Leinster like the foreign players Conta Pomi, Rocky Elson yeah Brad Thorne like it's not like I think because I think it's limited to maybe three non-Irish qualified yeah. players plus kind of special projects like Stander but if you only have three you're going to bring in the best that you can find you're going to bring in the likes of Brad Thorne, an all-black, like, absolute legend of the game. Rocky Elson, another big name. Nathan Hines. Nathan Hines, yeah. Michael Bent. Michael Bent. He was a project player. Do you think some of them players, though, could now start looking at these, Munster and Leinster in particular, as stepping stones? As in, I'll go here for two years, and then I can make my money elsewhere. I can let them know I'm in Europe there, and then I'll make my money elsewhere. The uh, farm players? Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying, like, the big names. I'm saying... The like your man, what's his name? Ben Teo, who was with Leinster for two years. Like he came, and then he where did he go? Worcester. Worcester. Oh, he's with, then now he's with. He's is in he still there? No, I think he's he not with. He's still in Worcester. Worcester I, think. Yeah. I thought he was a bat. And he was a slightly different case because I think his mom was English or something, which is how he qualified so quickly. I think he he's, was a one of these project. I think you can have the three foreign players plus other project players, and a project players are player. player. Like you bring in. It's like standard kind of, as in you bring them you in. You know he's going to be Irish qualified in three oh, years time. Okay, okay, like, okay. I know the rule has changed. It's gone from three years to five years now for the residency. Maybe that will change kind of the outlook because it's tough to bring in a player and say right in five years time he'll be playing for Ireland. Like yeah. in three years time, you can see like it's very quick. Like even Bundyaki, you can kind of follow Bundyaki's progression with Connacht and suddenly now I think it's September October he can he's Irish qualified kind of thing yeah. there's talk of him heading off isn't there yeah so he's, that'll be the interesting one yeah what he does I'd say what he does could influence a lot of people we also have the thing that like with players like him he came over so young that he has so much development still to, go, still to do and he's turned into this great player who now might actually have a shot back in New Zealand like Stander had been told that he was too small for to, uh, to play back rough South Africa, so he packed off and left. But if you're bringing over players like Aki as project players and they turn out to be better, maybe than even they expected. Now. Is he really? I didn't think he was that old. I just googled it. That's mad. He's 27. So I don't know why I had him is that too late for him to probably, go back to New Zealand? I, th- I, I thought he, I thought he was younger. Then yeah, probably. But it's interesting. It'll be an interesting next two years in the Champions Cup. Just to see, like, can Munster and Leinster do that one better? Yeah. Can they go that one better? I think with Leinster... Because that's, that's, that, that, they know that that's their benchmark now. And that, less than that is disappointing. I think with Leinster, you'd, you'd say that. I think with Munster, this year they've definitely overachieved massively. Mm. Like, I think if Munster were to do the same again next year, top their group, home quarterfinal, losing semifinal, it's not going to be a bad season for them, really. No. Nope. I don't think... I'm not even sure if Munster fans would expect to win a Heineken Cup yet with the other kind of class of teams. They're still a project team. Like They're still they're behind Leinster, definitely, in Ireland even. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You look at uh, Saracens, you look at the English teams, they're behind Toulon's and the Claremont's in France. Yeah. Like They're a bit down the pecking order European-wise 
if you look at Leinster, Leinster, they want to be at the top table. Like they haven't dropped that far. They've had a couple of well, they had one off season last year. Before that, like even in the the bad days of Matt O'Connor, they're still losing an extra time to Toulon with an intercept yeah. try. Like it wasn't exactly kind of they went from top of the pile to bottom of the mountain. Ooh. Like Leinster have been knocking at the top door or at the top table for a long time. So that's it's, it's where they belong. It's where players feel they belong. Yeah. I heard Sexton today on second captains kind of saying that like this is it's what Leinster want to be doing. It's kind of the culture they have is to be one of the best teams in Europe. Yeah. Like the young fellas coming through know like this is what we go for. Like this isn't a good season for us. We want to be winning the thing. Like, like fair enough for fans. This year was good. Players will want to win that game and want to be challenging for for trophies. But they had the taste of it. Now that's especially again, it's a good thing for the young fellas. They had the taste of it. Now they'd be like, yeah. "There's no reason we can't do that." Like we were so close in France. Let's win the pool and let's get them up mm, on our turf. Yeah. That's what they'll be striving for next year. Like yeah. so, I think it's. Do you think? Just sorry, Phil. Do you no, think next year? Anything other than a pool win for Leinster is bad. Depends on the pool. Yeah, like a lot of this But even the what they proved well. this year, like... Well, this year, see, the, the way it works is you can win the pool and still get drawn away. Can you? Because there's five pools. Oh, so yeah, five yeah, pools. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, and then the they had the home quarterfinal, but then it's... The semi-final has done some mad way. So I think if you finish top one or two of the whole thing, you're pretty much guaranteed a home semi-final. Yeah. Which is what Munster managed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if Leinster had won on the last day, they would have got the home semi final as well. A lot of that kind of placement comes down to stuff outside your control as well. If you get an Italian team, like if you an Italian team, you've <laughs> two bonus point wins basically racked up before you even take to the field. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't base success or failure on getting a home semi final. I think it's, it's it's a massive help getting to a semi final in Dublin, and it would go a long way to helping them get to a final. But I think like if if they played against Claremont next week. And managed to not concede two tries in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah. Like you're gonna say, like Lens are gonna win that match. And not get um Derek Captain Simba. Yeah. Like for such a bad start to a random as close as they did. Yeah. Like you're talking fifteen of their probably worst minutes all season. The performance it was bad performance, but he just the way to concede two tries and lose a player as Phil was saying. Like that's kind of stuff it's a horror story kind of stuff. Absolutely. You can see them being hockey thirty five by points, like and to fight back and to come as close as they did, it, was, it showed a lot, of, a lot of moxie. A lot of moxie. We're good on that. We're good on that. Anyone, anything else to add on anything? Eh, no, I think that's it for this week. Yeah, I think it was a nice was full solid. episode, nice and buried. Here's a nice trinket, Phil. The most appearances by a Lancer rugby player is Gordon Darcy. I knew that. Any guess how much? 212. 253 357 257 Oh Right then And on that bombshell As I said Bombshell Thanks very much lads No water Check us out on uh, iTunes And wherever you get your podcast Through any app on Android Uh, Check out the website Hurls in the Ditch.ie Twitter At H on the Ditch Hurlers in the Ditch on Instagram And H on the Ditch on Snapchat Thank you to the one person Who added us on Snapchat this week Fair play to you. You know who you are. (laughs) Stop sending those pics, please. (laughs) That is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away.